Everybody. This is our special bonus episode for the week uh, for Chaos Everywhere. This week we're watching a Superstar Staping from 1992. Exact date is in the description and also I mentioned in the episode. It is a watch long, but it's just you and me. And this was a lot of fun. I'm going to be doing more of these as just bank episodes for, you know, bonus stuff or if we need them for, you know, life reasons as we go. Uh, but this is the first of two I've already recorded. I just thought, because of the holiday seasons, let's give you guys a bit of a bonus. Uh, so I hope everybody had a happy holiday. Um, I hope you checked out WrestleMania 9 on Wednesday. And I hope you listen to our latest episode of Voyager from Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Voyager Chaos the Final Frontier. Next week will be Chaos at Ringside. We'll have a lot to discuss. A lot of really cool stuff's going on with the holiday bash and the New Year uh, Eve show, which I have not seen yet, but I did see the holiday bash on Rampage. And um, and we'll be watching some more Deep Space Nine on Monday. All right, well, I hope everybody had a good week. Thanks to Eric Bowman for the theme song, and we'll see you soon. Hey, everybody, it's uh, the Joey Styles of Podcast, Mr. Jonathan Gilchrist, here with a special bank episode of Chaos is Everywhere. Um, today... We're going to try something a little bit different. Uh, excuse me if you could hear that. Um, I'm just setting up bank stuff. I have free time right now to record extra episodes. Uh, my co-hosts do not have that time, which is fine. So we're going to record episodes where I'll talk and you'll listen and you'll enjoy and you'll watch with me. Uh, today I've decided to go back into something that it will have nostalgia value to me, but I doubt I would ever drag our device or... Um, DJ Madman into this deep of a hole. Uh, we're watching Superstars, WWE Superstars from, well, WWF Superstars from uh, April 18th, 1992. It's listed on Peacock as Season 7, Episode 16. It's literally the first episode you can watch, the earliest episode you can watch right now on um, Peacock. So that's why I'm doing it. I just figure start early. So uh, yeah, I'm at zero. And if you want to watch along, you'll hit play in three, two, one, play. Alrighty. And there's some music playing, which, by the way, I do not remember. Um, back in the day, I I didn't know this because, like, I was just a fan back in 92, a very young fan back when I still had youth and hope in the world. Um, back in the day, uh, my area that I lived in did not get the superstars. I thought I did uh, growing up. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I got superstars. No, 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 I lived in a crappy market where I got to watch Wrestling Challenge. Uh, There's also a third syndication thing, uh, but I was not watching superstars every Saturday. It was definitely uh, Wrestling Challenge in my area. Um, but here we go. Oh, look at that Easter basket. Good job, Vince, with your props. So, uh, just for context, this is right after WrestleMania 8, uh, when the Ultimate Warrior returned to save Hulk Hogan from the dastardly but late Papa Shango and um, Sid Justice. Uh, yeah, so that was 
that's a good show. I like that show a lot. That show, I we recently did a bank show of WrestleMania nine. Myself and DJ Madman. I told him that's the earliest like memory I have because I know I watched that right after it happened. I remember the first time I saw it. I have memories of WrestleMania eight, but it was finding a VHS of WrestleMania eight that had been recorded for me years after, or at least a couple of years after WrestleMania 8 had happened, and that's the first time I remember watching WrestleMania 8. It was way after WrestleMania 9 for me. Uh, I'd definitely seen it before, but I didn't remember WrestleMania 8 because I was just a little bit too young at the time. So that's why WrestleMania 9 is like my emotional wrestling center, which is fun because it's you know, it's horrible. And we talk about that a lot on that episode. I don't know if when this comes out, if that'll be out. Maybe I'll make a point of putting that out first because it's in the bank. But, um, yeah, you if you want more of that, you can definitely get more of that. Uh, it was a lot of fun watching uh, WrestleMania with DJ Madman. Yeah, no, I definitely um, did not get to see the Legion of Doom very often on my uh, weekly Saturday show. I was watching, you know... Based, like I got to maybe see The Undertaker. I remember, oh look, it's Gilbert and I think Barry Hardy. Oh, I feel like I should know who Barry Hardy is. I know that is Gilbert, everybody, if you didn't know. Gilbert was a jobber for years and years before he got his big break as fucking Gilbert. Uh, let me, I'm going to look up Barry Hardy because I, I don't know. I know I know that name, but I don't know why. One second. This won't be long anyway. Like, the Road Warriors take out actual tag teams, and right now they're doing basic enhancement talent. Oh, there they are. Wait. Do I remember? Those are the Beverly Brothers. Yeah. Those aren't the... the um, I was going to call them the Heavenly Bodies. That's a different team from a different era. Let's see here. Barry Hardy from Richmond, Virginia. Debuted in 1987. I'm trying to see if I, like... See a picture, it's like, oh yeah, Barry Hardy. Hmm, not really. I didn't expect him to do much, but I feel like I heard his name. He must have just been one of those guys that was around a lot of stuff. Ooh, nice drop kick from uh, Animal. That is that is high quality stuff. That is Gilberg there, the, the inventor of the jackhammer and the spear. You will put respect on his name. If you pay attention, you can see the crowd because they know what's happening. Gilbert, Gilbert. Also, Paul Ellering is there. They, they also, Paul Ellering just made his return at this point. If you've watched WrestleMania Eight, uh, the Legion of Doom don't have a match in WrestleMania Eight, but they're out on a stage. And they introduce Paul Ellering, or Paul Ellering comes out with him, and Bobby Heenan really sells how good Paul Ellering is as a manager, um, which he is. I mean, they did some stupid shit with him in the WWF, but he is a really good manager. I always thought the Authors of Pain had much more um, potential if Paul Ellering had been able to stay with them as a. Uh, as a manager, but I don't think he wanted to travel the way he used to. Yeah. I want to notice that um, Hardy there on the apron is like, did he even like get knocked down? He was like, nah, you know what? 
Gilbert deserved that. He deserved it for talking shit. I had those figures. If you still have those figures. Actually, did I have a Legion of Doom? I had the Bushwhackers. Actually, the Bushwhackers are worth more money, I think. Because everybody wanted the Legion of Doom. If I had money, like if I had money to like buy stuff just to collect stuff for my, you know, soul, I would in 150% buy uh, those old school action figures. But sadly, I do not. Unless you guys want to help me out by spreading the word about this podcast and turning it into a real success. So just just the thought, like you can you can help me become one of those weirdos that collects things that used to be for children to try and fill a hole in their life that will never be filled. Oh, this is the um, this is like the cleanup of the angle with Ric Flair and uh, Randy Savage where they talk about it's kind of this is before Photoshop. Uh, I like I don't know. I don't think that they actually went through and did fo- like they must have just done photo shoots and like Flair was there. That's the easier way to do it. You definitely didn't like spend the money to be like, oh yeah, no, we're gonna put in uh, Ra- Rick where Randy is. But also, it's weird that Randy Savage is like ma- would be mad about those pictures. Like, no, I fuck, I was there. I remember those are me. That was me. They just fucking cut me out and put Flair there. But also, Savage was not a, um, like, an overly thoughtful guy. So, yeah, just for these, because it's not really a huge deal. It's not going to affect a lot. I'll tell you what happens. So, last night, or whenever the fuck it was, WrestleMania 8, Savage became the world champion for the second time. Um, oh, we're going to get to see a bit of it. In what is the real main event of WrestleMania? Hogan and Sid fucking close the show because Hogan has to pose. But the the good match of the night, the match that if you're going to go back and watch it, you watch it, is Savage versus Flair. And uh, Savage won it, won the world title for the second time. I have a, like I've noticed something and it bugs me to no end. Um, Savage never ever got a chance to be a world champion without Hogan fucking sticking his nose in it. Uh, for WrestleMania, well, you know, the, everybody knows the, the superpowers or the, the mega powers storyline. Savage won his first title. Hogan jumps in the ring because, oh, it's my buddy. They do a mega powers thing for a year. Savage never gets to be more than five steps away from Hogan the entire fucking time. And then, of course, Hogan beats WrestleMania 5. It's a good storyline, and I like it, but... It's a shame, looking back now, that Savage didn't have more of an independent title run. Then, this title run, he wins it from Ric Flair at WrestleMania 8. And the main event, it's supposed to be a co-main event, but that was in the middle of the show. The main event is Savage, or Hogan versus Sid, for no reason. That, like, no reason that had to be last except for Hogan posing with Warrior, which, by the way, you could have done in the middle of the show. Savage and Flair, I feel like, should have been able to follow that. Um, so there's that. So there's that title reign also. And by the time you get to next year, Savage is on commentary. So it's not even like he gets a, a real run here either. He eventually loses it to Flair, who then loses it to Bret Hart, who then sets up WrestleMania 9, basically. Um... Then you get to WCW. His Savage's first title reign was won in a 60-man battle royal 
Uh, the finish of it was supposed to be that the giant eliminated Hogan, but Hogan in the ring changed the finish that the giant was going to pull him. I think he pulled him under the rope even so that instead of Savage getting to celebrate the fact that he won the world title, he uh, gets Hogan in there bitching and complaining that he was never eliminated. And like not even five seconds after the man won, it's not like we go to the nitro the next night to set up a match or anything. No Hogan's right in there again, stealing Savage's thunder. And then his last title reign was during the NWO era where he had the title, but Hogan, he was in the NWO with Hogan, if I remember correctly at the time. And like Hogan, obviously is like, I'm the leader. You know, and you can make storyline arguments for all this, but what it boils down to is every time Roger Marine Savage had the title, Hogan had his fucking ass all over it. So it, it just annoys me. Oh, I did watch this. This match is really weird in that this is the finish. Watch this. Here we go. One. Is he going to do it again? Oh, yeah, he's going to do it again. By the way, I love that that is... Um, Demolition Axe, or is it Smash? No, it's Smash. Like, he looks so much smaller as the Repo Man that you never would know that that was a member of Demolition. Um, like, I didn't know for years and years that that was a member of Demolition. But, yeah, no, that's the Repo Man. But, yeah, this is literally the finish. He's going to, like, it's over. He's literally just going to do that uh, decapitator thing, like, another two or three times. I think it's like one more time. And then that's the end of the match. And I only remember that because I was like, man, like I know that finishes were easier um, in the nineties, but this is like the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the saving of like moves, like that's it. Like, does it make sense by the way, from a logical point of view to like, basically collapse somebody's trachea you could say to win a match sure but compared to what it takes to win even a basic tv match now it's amazing although i've mentioned this before the 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 business model back then was much much different anyway um this, the idea wasn't to build to TV. Like, before Raw showed up, it didn't matter what was on TV. TV was basically setting up, and pay-per-views to a large extent, although pay-per-views ended up being where you'd sell it off. So what you would do is on this TV, you'd watch basically your superstars take out enhancement talent. And every so often, you'd see, like, somebody attack Hogan, like Warrior attack Hogan or whatever. And then you'd... If you want to see that match, you have to come out when it's live in your area. That's where you get to see the match. You get to see the finish. Um, it, that, and then maybe, well, then eventually when they run the circuit, the, that takes like six months or whatever to go through all the different arenas in the area, they put that match up on a pay-per-view that blows off the match and continue. Where they're making their money is not the pay-per-view necessarily or the TV deals. They're making their money on people coming to buy the live tickets. Now, of course, it's completely opposite. Live is, I think, still basically dead. I think, no, WWE is running because they were in my area recently and I almost went. Um, but... Uh, AEW, I don't know how many live shows they're running, if any. I think they're just doing TV, and their revenue comes from pay-per-view sales 
and uh, add, uh, I think, partially add revenues from their TV shows. So it's just a business change, and it's still changing. Streaming's also a thing, which I think AEW will eventually get into, and WWE definitely has. Oh, the boss man. Look, it's the model, Rick Martel. Rick Martel is an enigma to me because I'm just of the age where I remember the model. I didn't know anything about like Strike Force or Tina Santana, which that's a, a victim of the whole live circuit thing anyway. So if you were watching back in the day, you had Rick Martel versus Tito Santana when the, the team broke up. Well, they ran the circuit with that match. So if you went to see a live show, you got to see like Tito get his revenge on Rick. But it sort of fizzled out in between pay-per-views because it was like a long time between pay-per-views back then. So you never got that blow-off on um, on a pay-per-view. It's sort of like they were in a team, he became the model, and unless you saw those live shows, Rick Martel never got his comeuppance. After these messages from your local vape store. Hey everybody, welcome to Superstar Vapes, where all the superstars buy all their weed. Ooh. Oh, that's, yeah. I've heard people complain about this where, um, you know you guys don't have, well you might have the audio up, I don't, I can't control that, I don't. But the voice you're hearing during these promos is really raspy and kind of, I think it's almost computer generated, you know, how like they used to do on like hard copy and shit. But when Nails actually comes out, he's just like a regular guy. There's a whole backstory with Nails, which if I keep doing the Superstar series, we'll definitely talk about. Oh yeah, Tom! Uh, one of my... Um, if you ever seen Leonard Kenny, uh, the... Uh, what's his name? Squirrel, Squirrely Dan is a stand-up comedian, and he has one of the best bits on pro wrestling where he says he's built like a wrestler, not like a good wrestler. He's built like one of those guys that lost every Saturday night, like one of those guys that's already in the ring with the saddest introduction ever, and already in the ring from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Scott! And I love the line, He just, you just knew whoever was coming through that curtain was going to kick the shit out of Scott because he wasn't very good at wrestling. Actually, like Gilbert, for example, who we just saw, some of those guys made a pretty decent living. Like, it wasn't glamorous, and most of them didn't get a moment in the spotlight like a Barry Horowitz or Gilbert. Um, but they, like, they worked for 10, 15, 20 years, made a living, did wrestling as their full-time job as enhancement talent. It was something you could do back then. I don't think it exists anymore. Um, because I, I know it doesn't exist anymore. Like, when's the last? Maybe on Dark, but even, like, on AEW Dark, those aren't enhancement talents. Those are mostly independents that are hoping to get noticed and, you know, get used more on the show. These guys that are on this show, this is their job. They're not planning on, like, getting a big gimmick boost at any point, I don't think. At least most of them. <clears throat> Nice hip toss from the hitman. 
I wonder, uh, I read a few years back from, oh, maybe not. Oh, he might be going for the headbutt. Is it? Oh, no, the kick. Okay. Um, I wonder, because I read a few years back in Shawn Michaels' book, they talked about wrestling Bret Hart was frustrating because Bret always had to hit his stuff in the same order. And, like, he said that he would, Shawn would try to, um, like, um, suggest small changes here and there. Like, oh, let's do this instead of this. But Brett would always say, no, I got to hit the backbreaker into the Russian leg sweep, into the elbow. Well, actually, it would be Russian leg sweep into the backbreaker, um, elbow off the second rope, sharpshooter. Like, and he wouldn't vary on that. I don't know if that's true, but ever since I read that, it does happen in that sequence without change in a lot of Bret Hart matches. Well, he didn't hit the backbreaker first, but he's going for the second rope elbow. But also, this is a jobber, so this isn't like a full-on match. So he doesn't need to hit the backbreaker and the Russian leg sweep. This is before tapping was a thing, by the way. The hand stuff doesn't matter. It's the fact that he told the referee, yes, he gives up. I think tapping was one of the best things that ever, like, was developed for wrestling because it is such a much more visual thing that allows you to really sell a submission better. Yeah, we're sending up Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart for the Intercontinental title. Oh yeah, um, that again, I'm going to give that suggestion because there might be a chance that uh, at some point we'll go back to WrestleMania. But if you're going to do it on your own, uh, Flair and Savage is really good and Piper versus uh, Hart is amazing. Both those are like the crowns of those that match. Undertaker and Jake is pretty good too, but it's, um, I don't know, it's not as good as his later stuff, but uh, the Undertaker's streak is a weird thing at the beginning. It's time for a new generation. It's time for the Mountie, and I proved it once. Yeah, Mountie became Intercontinental Champion when Bret Hart had a fever, and they've, like, he, Bret needed time off, so literally he was a transitional champion to get the title, and it might have been just to get the title for, off of a good guy so they can put on another good guy. But yeah, he was a transitional champion between Roddy Piper and Bret Hart, and like he had it for a month or two maybe, and is like the biggest singles thing I think uh, he ever got. In tag team action, more unpredictable than the Bushwhackers. Uh, I have okay. I know the history. Um, I know that the Sheep Herders, which are the Bushwhackers and the Independents were one of the most violent and bloody tag teams. Which, by the way, makes so much sense. I would not have realized that. Um, but look at their heads. You can see the scarring on their heads from the times that they have bladed at this point. Uh, because that's what happens when you blade over and over and over and over again. But if you just know the Bushwhackers, it's like, huh, must have just had a really wrinkly day on the... On the thing, it's one of those weird things that like Vince McMahon saw the cheap herders didn't want the violence because that wasn't the thing, 
people was like, oh yeah, no, we'll make them the goofy bushwhackers and put them with a stupid ass stand-up comedian I saw in New York, which I don't think he's here yet, but he is very stupid and it was a very weird idea. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about this story just from what I remember. Uh, that basically Vince went out, saw a stand-up, was like, my God, this guy's hilarious. And I was like, he'll be so good with the Bushwhackers. Like, literally a stand-up he just saw in New York one day. And, like, it's just, I forget what his name is, but he comes out, like, dressed like a geek and shit. Oh, uh, yeah, Demolition. Shaka bra. <laughs> Bruce Pritchard does tell a really funny story about how, like, he was like, he, he thought the crush thing was a little stupid, you know, because it is really cartoony and not in the really good WWE way. But then somebody's like, oh, yeah, we have to go to Hawaii to shoot the promos. Like, oh, fuck, yeah, I'll do that. Like, I'll, I'll go and, like, we'll shoot the promos all day. Ooh, the berserker. I am, like, making fuck berserker. Sorry. Clerk's reference. Why would Mr. Fuji be? The man's got a look. Yeah, now if you want to see what a uh, good Viking looks like, uh, they're starting to do a good job again with the, um, I think they're still called the Viking Raiders, but whatever. But it, their, their characters are doing a lot better. I don't think any of that thought went into the Berserker. What the fuck? My Berserker going to kick some guy in the head. I don't know why they even bothered. Well, I guess they just need it for time. But Jesus, that kick should have been enough. Especially when we just saw a guy lose to three rope decapitators in a row. The only match of the Berserkers that I remember, because he did not do a lot of stuff, I remember it must have been a wrestling challenge, because again, I watched it Saturday morning, and I didn't get to see Superstars because I wasn't in the A market. Um, but I did get to see Undertaker versus the Berserker, and I, maybe I saw it on a DVD, but basically it was back when the Undertaker was beating people and then putting them in a uh, body bag. Let's see if the Berserker does any actual wrestling hole or just, you know, hits this guy a few more times. Oh, boy. I don't feel good for this. Oh. Good God. Man, I don't... That, that can't feel good in your chest. One more what? Well, that's, that's the end. Yeah, back, well, it was starting to be the, the lower end of uh, of wrestling managers. Not like, there were still good wrestling managers, but it wasn't like it wasn't before. But even when it was like at its peak, it's so weird the way that they just sort of assigned every heel a manager without any real reason. Like, there's no reason Mr. Fuji would manage somebody like the Berserker 
But also, I don't know who else I would put him with because he's not good enough to be a Bobby Heenan guy. Slick is gone at this point, although Slick had some weird ass, um, he had some weird ass people, so he might have worked back in the day. Jimmy Hart could have done it, I guess, but I don't know if Jimmy Hart was still managing at this point. So it's probably how you end up with Fuji, but I can't believe the Berserker beat Scott. By the way, this episode is going to be called Scott. It, it, that's just the name of the episode. I have to come up with it because I'm the one doing the recording, and I like that as the episode title, so that's what's happening. No, I was not part of the World Wrestling Federation fan club. Kind of wish I was, though. I'd love to have one of those certificates. The only reason that they did this, uh, I guarantee you, was to get your address to put you on a... Um, mailing list so they could send you more stuff about buying stuff from them. Uh, that was the that was the whole thing with uh that's before this when the uh earthquake squashed Hogan and uh Hogan was out forever and he ended up having while well, he was doing super commando or Suburban Commando, excuse me, which, by the way, is in the back catalog of Chaos Everywhere if you want to listen to us watch that movie. A lot of fun. Uh, but while he was gone, his best buddy Tugboat would come out and say, Kids, write your letters and your cards to this address. By the way, I had that wrestle buddy, Ultimore. Technically, the, that wrestle buddy was my brother's. Uh, he had the Ultimore one. I had the Hulk Hogan one. Um... I don't know which one's superior at this point. They both kind of let me down. As I've said recently in an episode of Chaos Everywhere, or I think it was Chaos Inside, the only hero we should uh, keep in wrestling is Mick Foley. Uh, I think he's the only one that will not let us down one way or the other. But um, what was I saying? Wrestling buddies. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Ho so, uh, Tugboat came out and said, uh, for my my buddy the Hulkster, and the idea was the kids would write these letters with their address, and they all got put on a mailing list for more products and stuff like that back for online shopping. So, capitalism, using children's love against them. There's a weird uh, conspiracy theory about this time about the Ultimate Warrior, that this isn't the original Ultimate Warrior, which if you look at him, it's the fucking Ultimate Warrior. But he had lost some size because he had to stop using steroids because the steroids trial was starting to be a thing. Like, they were really, um, they were really starting to crack down. And eventually he would start wearing a fucking bodysuit with muscles, like, um, I forget what it's called. Whatever it was called back in the day when he would, like, paint on clothing. And so that led to this weird conspiracy theory that the Ultimate Warrior is dead and this is a new Ultimate Warrior and probably would have been better overall maybe if it would have been at that point because he was not going to last very long. I forget. No, was this? Yeah, this was... The, this ending came... If you hear my cat in the background, please uh, forgive him. He knows not what he does. Um, 
this storyline ended, or, Ho or Warrior's Time ended, when he went to SummerSlam and held up, this is the one where he held, holds up Vince for more money. Um, um, yeah, and like says, I won't go out and perform at Mass Square Garden in a tag match for the for the fans. If you don't pay me more money, Vince says, sure. Uh, they go out, they have the match. Hogan says that he and Slaughter were ready to go back in the locker room and break his fucking legs. But the moment Warrior comes out of the rain, he gets fired. And uh, he's off TV until 1996 when WCW... No. Yeah, 96, but not WCW. He starts by coming back to... He starts by coming back to uh, WWF, as we all know, at WrestleMania um, 12. And then goes to WCW 98. Red Tyler. We're just going to kick the shit out of him. Oh, it's the model. Good thing he has that button, or I wouldn't know if he was a model or not. It's it's very um, very convenient, really. I do love, now that I'm older, because I didn't know at the time. Um, I do love instead of giving him just like a, a perfume bottle like Gorgeous George would have used back in the day, they gave him uh, like bug killing spray squirter thing, which has a name that I don't know. Or God, that's so old school with that. I don't know if that girl's enamored with the model or she definitely didn't know she was on TV, I hope, because that, that's not the face I'd make if I knew I was on TV. You're way too into the model. Like, you are way too emotionally invested in this man that thinks he's pretty, who objectively is, I think, cosmetically good-looking. Like, definitely in the body. But I would say, like, you got the chin, you got the dimple, like... Yeah, maybe not enough to be a real model, but by wrestling standards, pretty good-looking. Uh, let's see how long it takes the model to beat Red Tyler. Or is it Taylor? It doesn't matter. But you know where Red Taylor's from? America. <laughs> Somebody save those uh, trunks for Lex Luger, who just made... Lex Luger also just made his first appearance for the WWF. Well, not really WWF. He was on WrestleMania 8 promoting his inclusion in the WFB world or wbf wbf world bodybuilding federation um which never got off the ground and i don't think he ever competed in and by the time he was ready to do something he ended up in uh the wbf as the narcissist which would happen by the I'm trying to think of by the royal rumble the next year so Rick Martel, one of the best wrestlers in the world. Booker T gives a lot of credit to his success to an early feud he had with Rick Martel. I will say he's not one of the more, like, a lot of people in the know talk about him very highly, but he's not one of those guys that you hear the general public talk about a lot. And I think that's because he was a very good in-ring performer, but... The walls of Jericho, but um, he just he never had much charisma. Like the model, excuse me, the model is the most charisma that I think he ever exposed, and it was fine, but it was definitely at best intercontinental title level. 
I don't know if he ever won the Aircon titles, the model. He might have. You could not be more 90s if you tried, girl. Your mullet and your plastic glasses. Don't get me wrong. You're a child. You're allowed to look like that. I'm just saying it's... God, that's 90s. Oh, dropkick. I want to call it a backbreaker. It's more of a gut buster, honestly, because it's on the ribs. I forget what the ruling is on that. And by the way, for legal purposes, that's the VHS that I had of WrestleMania 8. Um, oh, I did love WrestleMania. I wish there were more superstar before this, because I would love to go back and relive the, um, the superstar... Superstars leading up to WrestleMania 8, where I remember very vividly, this might even, this had to be earlier, because I remember this wasn't something I had to watch on DVD or on video. This is something I had to have watched when it happened on Saturday morning. So this might be early, this has to be earlier in WrestleMania 9. I remember watching Sid Justice beat up jobbers, and then what he would do is put a Hogan bandana on the guy, and, um, then, like, put them on a stretcher at the very top of the entrance and then push them all the way down to the ring. It was a very, very cool visual, um, which obviously made a big impact because it could legitimately be my earliest memory. Because I say that about WrestleMania 9, but um, I'm not 100% sure that I didn't see the, the Sid stuff later, but I feel like I couldn't have seen it later. It must have been when it was happening, so it would have been earlier because it would have been the build-up to WrestleMania 8. Oh my God, here comes the Texas Tornado. That kid will never meet a man that uh, lives up to Kerry Von Erich. I find it, like, let, let's all watch this together. I find it crazy that at this point Kerry Von Erich has a fake foot. Like, if you can tell that he lost a foot at this point, um, you're more observant than I am. Former NWA world champion who beat the one and only Ric Flair for that title, Kerry Von Erich. Yeah, at some point, like I talk about it every once in a while, but the Von Erichs are such a tragic family. I, I hear they're making a movie about the Von Erichs. I think Zach Efron is? No, Zach Efron is in it, but he's not playing Carrie. He's playing, um, I don't remember which one. He's, But it's not Carrie. I, was, I specifically was like, oh yeah, that's not Carrie. Yeah, no, he moves around perfectly. I, like, he always thought, from what I've been told and what I've heard, read, that he uh, had lost a step. And he was always very self-conscious. Uh, like, partially it's because he has that charisma we're talking about with Rick Martel, that I don't think it matters if he lost, like, half a step. But it, the self-conscious part just fucks with your brain and then you can't, you know, make the most of the opportunity. There's a, there was a a chance that Kerry could have really, really gone over, especially because knowing what we know now, we're about to lose Warrior. Um, Hogan is going to last another year before he's gone. Savage is going to be forced into retirement. If Kerry Von Erich had been mentally in the game, 
like, look at him. He has everything Vince McMahon could want in a superstar, and he has the charisma to get that crowd behind him. Like, as is seen, if you go back to the Von Erichs versus the Freebird days in Texas. Yeah, I think there's a there's a definite alternate universe where Kerry Von Erich is a WWF champion. And maybe, just maybe, I never even think of him because I think we talked about this. Um, if we haven't talked about it yet, we're going to. But I think we talked about this case for inside where, like, if you were going to put somebody else in the Luger spot. Oh, it was because we were talking about what would happen if Sting had come to the company around this time. That was our last chaos of ringside as of this recording. It might be a while ago now. I don't know. But uh, we talked about, like, who fills that spot um, in, like, 90, like, 3. If, if, if Sting's there, he takes over for Luger. Well, if Kerry Von Erich had worked out, there might not have been a Luger to... Like, they haven't even thought of trying to turn Luger. Luger could have been the one, or Eric could have, Von Eric could have been the one. It's eh, a lot of skin for 1992. Oh, yeah. Vince was so hot. Why would... I like that they put, like, all the beautiful women in there, too, so it's not, like, it's not gay, everybody. No, no, there's, there's women involved, too. It's for manly men who like women and oiled up other men, which I'm not blaming because there's a part of wrestling that I've never felt qualified to write about but a history professor did suggest to me once when I wrote some papers because I've written a lot of academic papers about professional wrestling over my academic career that I should foc- I should not, not focus on at least um, touch on the homosexual or homoerotic subtext of pro wrestling um, I've never felt uh qualified to do that because I'm uh, I'm a straight man I don't I could yes but I feel like I'd be coming at it from an outsider's point of view and I don't want to stereotype but my point to all of that is is that if it's a fucking subtext in wrestling and bodybuilding it seems like it's much closer to just being a text because you don't even have the like there's no other reason to look than to admire physiques, which is fine again I'm not judging it I'm just saying it's a weird it's not a weird thing. It's just, it's weird that it's not sold more like that, I guess. Like, I don't understand if, um, if you're not, I don't understand the appeal of watching a bodybuilding competition without there being some, uh, sexual gratification from it. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't get it. I don't, is it like a freak show where it's just like look like you're just amazed at how big these guys have gotten is that what it is is it real or is it you know like just admiring the male form or female form whatever um i don't know i just i don't understand it so maybe i shouldn't talk about it because i i don't obviously understand its appeal and there could be a lot of deeper levels because a lot of people don't understand my appeal of wrestling so um I can understand. I don't want to make anyone that likes bodybuilding feel judged anyway, because I'm not. I'm just, it's one of those things that is a mystery to me. By the way, we're seeing uh, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, and uh, Erwin R. Scheister, your current tag team champions of the world, who will hold on to that title for quite a while um, against Jobber 1 and Jobber, well, it's like Jobber 4 or 5 at this point. 
And this has to be your main event because I know that the whole episode's about 45 minutes. Yeah, so the storyline here, I love the Natural Disasters, by the way. Like, one of my favorite tag teams. I love, I just, like, I love the size. I love the dominance. Um, I think Earthquake is a very underappreciated under talent overall. And I think um, the Natural Disasters the tag team is like the, not, maybe not the height, because he might have, he was definitely bigger when he was fighting Hogan. But... It's definitely something that should be remembered more fondly. But yeah, basically, uh, their manager was uh, Jimmy Hart, who betrayed them to get the titles on Money, Inc. He would stay with Money, Inc. until um, basically the lead-up to WrestleMania 9. If you want to know more about that, either wait until we uh, drop it or, you know, look at the back catalog. But yep, Ted DiBiase putting out a jobber, and uh, there you go. Okay, Shamuni, what do you think about invested heavily in gold? How many business puns can I put into this promo? Oh, of course the... That was actually not a bad segue. He just said the, the, um, the one superstar whose stock is on the rise is the Rocket Owen Hart. I'm guessing, because uh, there's two versions of Owen Hart that wore that outfit. Um, I think he's either going to be tagging with, I think he starts by tagging with Coco Beware. They become high high energy. And then after Coco leaves, he ends up tagging with um, Jim Nehemiah for the new foundation. Both are really good tag teams, as I remember. Um I think they both sort of fell apart because of Owen losing his partner. But it does lead us to the great storyline in 94 with Owen and Brett, which is, you know, masterclass in just great storytelling. There's nothing, there's nothing bad about that whole arc between them leading up through 94 and 95. I wonder if he'll say if we should get on the O-Train. I'm not making fun, by the way. I love Papa Shango. I, I really do. I, uh, I, I'm a, as anybody that's listened to this for a long period of time, I am a sucker for a fucking character gimmick. I love Papa Shango. I love The Undertaker. I love, I love Abaddon. I love, I love the supernatural character gimmicks. It's one of the things I, that, um, I try to explain why I love wrestling because where else but wrestling can you do that and not all the time, but seriously get old, like make it work. Like where the Undertaker doesn't fucking work in, if you try to play in UFC or if somebody tried to like have a character like that in like football or some shit. The only place that works is wrestling. Right back after these messages. Um, I don't have that quite right feeling. You know what I mean? Well, honey, you're becoming a, a woman. And that means trying your new Tampak blood soakers. I feel that was my Hogan battle buddy. My brother and I had that. We got those both on the same Christmas. It was a really... I love that Christmas. I wish I had... I'm always... like my, my parents were fucking awesome. They always got so many wonderful toys. But I'm always the guy that want, wanted all of the stuff. So I would have loved to have... I think there was a Savage one, too. 
There might have been one other. There was like, if I remember right, there were four. But I shouldn't, like, I don't even know how they got them. I don't even know if those were in stores at the time or if they had to order them. Oh, I mean, I must have just, yeah, it had to be in this time period because when the fuck else would Berserker have been relevant to fight The Undertaker? So I guess uh, if we do another bank show, I will go into the next episode and we can watch The Undertaker versus Berserker. I will give you five guesses who wins that encounter. Sergeant Slaughter will have a match next week. Shawn Michaels with Sensational Sherry. Sharing, if you will. Oh, next week looks like a barn burn, everybody. Poor Undertaker. Don't worry, Mankind is coming to give you a really good feud. Instead of just a freak show. Alright, there we go. That is the end of our episode. I hope everybody enjoyed this. Like I said, this is the Bank Show. I'm literally just by myself for a few weeks. Um, hopefully at some point, uh, Artie Vice will actually be moving in. We'll be roommates for a while. Um, but in the meantime, I have a lot of time on my hands. Not a lot to do. So I figure we'll build a bank. So that's what I'm doing. Um, yeah, thanks, Eric Bowman, for the theme song. I've got nothing to add. I will probably put an intro when I do put this episode up if we do it to replace something, just to let you know what's going on. So you would already heard that. Um, or if this becomes a bonus episode, I hope you had a good Friday. Uh, we will see you soon. And, um, yeah, I'm, I can't... I thought about this last time. I can't do deuces. I guess I'll just... Let me, let me try. We'll see you soon, everybody. Deuces! That didn't sound right.